0: Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. Before we begin this evening, we'd like to take a moment and say welcome, especially if this is your first time stopping by. Thank you for joining us. We urge you to explore the archives at 42minutes.com and we'd also like to share with you the other programs in the SyncBook Radio Network. Check out Synchronize and always record. If you have a comment or a question, send us an email at thesyncbook at gmail.com. Tonight, for this special bonus edition of the podcast, we're going to consider the state of alternative media by looking forward and back with an open source journalist who is taking alternative media to the next level.
1: And welcome back. My name is Will Morgan, broadcasting from the sunny climes of Colorado. And today we're spending 42 minutes with James Corbett. Writer, editor, webmaster, producer, and host of The Corbett Report. The Corbett Report is an independent, listener-supported, alternative news source. It operates on the principle of open-source intelligence and provides podcasts, interviews, articles, and videos about breaking news and important issues from 9-11 truth and false flag terror to Big Brother police state, eugenics, geopolitics, the central banking fraud, and so much more. It's ridiculous. Mr. Corbett began the Corbett Report website in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis on politics, society, history, and economics. Since then, he has written, recorded, and edited over 1,000 hours of audio and video media for the website, including a weekly podcast and several regular online video series. I mean, he produces video reports for GRTV, Uh, the video production arm of the Center for Research on Globalization, and BoilingFrogsPost.com, the website of noted FBI whistleblower Sabelle Edmonds. He is also an uh, editorial writer for the International Forecaster, the weekly e-newsletter created by the recently deceased economic analyst Bob Chapman. I also hear he makes a fine batch of muffins. I made that last one up, but more information about the work of Mr. Corbett and the Corbett Report can be found at his website, CorbettReport.com. It is an honor, sir, to be spending this 42 minutes with you right now. Thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on, but I feel I must apologize to you and the audience because I think that introduction took up two of our 42 minutes. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh well.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess first question's first. How do you find time to sleep?
2: (laughs) <laughs> you know I it, every a, a lot of people ask me that question and it's uh, when you get that from one or two strangers it's it's something but when you get it from a lot of people you should probably start to take it seriously um the short answer is I I I I've, I sleep when and if I can which isn't always uh, possible as an example, just apropos of nothing, the other night I was working on my recent eye-opener report for BoilingFogsPost.com, Mind Control in American Politics. It's up on the front page of CorporateReport.com as we're talking, and uh, I was up till 3.30 a.m. finishing and posting that video to the website, and that was exactly when my son, my new nine month old son, decided to wake up and not go back to sleep. So I ended <laughs> up at five in the morning driving him around until he finally went to sleep. And then I finally got to sleep at 5.30 a.m. And then I was back up at 9 a.m. And that's not atypical for me so uh the short answer is i don't sleep a lot and it, i'm probably going to pay a f- price for that somewhere down the line but uh but yeah i mean I, it's worth it in terms of the what when i look back at what i've created over the last seven years i'm, I'm immensely proud of the work that i've done and uh, i couldn't have done it if i had spent all that time sleeping
1: i just now realized the pun of being awake <laughs> Actually, <laughs> like
2: awakening yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it's very literal in my case <laughs>
0: Well, way back in December of 2012 for episode number 62 of our show, we spoke with James Evan Pilato, with whom you produce the New World Next Week segment for both the Corbett Report and Media Monarchy. One of my biggest curiosities of him was his media diet, but I blew it and I framed the question poorly and he misunderstood what I was asking him. Could you briefly sketch your current relationship to media and journalism?
2: Mm. Well, now I'm not sure I'm going to be able to interpret that question correctly. Um,
0: (laughs) You blew it again, Doug.
2: (laughs) (laughs) In in terms of what media do I consume?
0: Well, so let's start maybe with,
2: would would you consider
0: yourself a media junkie as a younger person?
2: I wouldn't say a media junkie, no. Um, I have always had some sort of relationship to media. Obviously, our lives are increasingly mediated in this day and age. And if you have access to technology, it's almost impossible to have an unmediated experience of reality in in our current day and age. But I was, I, I was never particularly fascinated about media or by media itself. It was never something that really preoccupied me until I really decided to get into the game. And, and at that point was when I was starting to really question, well, what is this media that we've been fed our whole lives and who gets to decide what goes on and what doesn't and what gets discussed and what doesn't and who's taken seriously and who isn't. And that's, I mean, that's something that's obviously occurred to me from time to time, but something I didn't really start to take seriously until I started the website. So I wouldn't say I was ever a media a junkie per se. but So you have um,
0: no background in journalism?
2: Absolutely none. Zero. I, uh, I never had any intention to become a journalist. And in fact, since I studied English in university, the question I always got was, what are you going to do with your degree? To which I would either reply, frame it, <laughs> or <laughs> I would I would reply, well, I don't know, but I'm definitely not going to be a, t- a teacher and I'm not going to be a journalist. And I ended up being both. <laughs> so that's just the way it was. Wow. Out of
0: curiosity, may we ask what part of Canada that you're from?
2: You may ask, and I will answer by saying I'm an ardent supporter of the Calgary Flames. <laughs> and no one who wasn't born in Calgary could ever be a supporter of the Flames. So there you go.
0: And so then in 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 connection to the, the earlier question, what is your normal media diet now?
2: Uh, it is a hodgepodge. I don't think I have... A any kind of set pattern. I obviously have a bunch of podcasts that I'm subscribed to and I try to fit that in when and if I have time, Um, but I don't always manage to keep up with even the podcasts I'm subscribed to and I'm constantly changing and unsubscribing and subscribing to others and and shaking it up a little bit. Um, And then all of the rest of the media that I consume is generally kind of things that are are I, I stumble across things that happen randomly things that links that i'm sent by listeners that sort of thing generally online um i i i don't we have a tv here in japan but it's not physically connected so we haven't watched it in years and i i don't mm. miss that in in the least and uh and i, I occasionally will rent a, a movie um uh, we haven't been to see a movie, obviously, since our child was born, and probably won't be for another few years yet. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, it's it's basically online, and a lot of it is kind of random, um, or or not really random. I mean, I, I guess we have to think about how uh, Google uses their algorithms to suggest videos for you, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's part of that mixture. But um, but I do a lot of YouTube video watching and and the like, and that's that's where I get a lot of my information.
1: You don't have a history in journalism. That's clear. You have a degree in English, so is that how you got your research skills? As far as citing yeah, sources uh, and so forth.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I certainly have uh, pursued the academia up to uh, I, I completed my master's degree in two thousand three. So, um, so I've been subjected to that long enough that uh, you know cite your sources and all of that was d- drilled into me. Um, I, but a lot of it is really just self-taught, honestly. Um, I don't. I think my university education as an education was not beneficial to me really in any tangible way, but um, just as an experience, I mean, it was good. I I met a lot of interesting people, and I had some some good experiences. But uh, but as an education, it hasn't really served me in any way. Everything that I do related to the website, I taught myself. I taught myself to edit videos. I taught myself to edit audio and post podcasts and and uh, use WordPress and ho- uh, construct an RSS feed and all of this other good stuff that you got to learn when you when you do it. And the only way to do it is to 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 do it. And uh, it was a lot of trial and error, and I'm still doing trial and error. And uh, that's, that's the, the way that it's worked for me so well, far. And, how would you
1: categorize, I mean, uh, how the show has changed or progressed from the, from the beginning now? I mean, what what has the show become?
2: Yeah, well, I, I guess on the, the base level, just looking at it. Technically, um, from a technical perspective, obviously, I mean, I can barely I I can't even go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes, (laughs) not only because of the content, but I mean, because of just the way it sounds and the way it was produced and the way I talked in front of a microphone at first and all of that sort of stuff that that only comes through trial and error and practice makes perfect. So uh, there's definitely been that evolution, which people will notice if if they're the type of people who want when they encounter a new podcast, want to go back to episode one. (laughs) I always tell them, don't start from episode one. With my podcast, because it's probably better to start somewhere in the middle. Um, but uh, in terms of the the content and the and the form and the way it's developed over time, um, it, it's it's always been a fluid process. There's nothing that that's that's been deliberate on my part. Um, it's just sort of what's worked um, in terms of the the space that I've been in at the moment. And I think that a lot of a lot of my earliest podcasts and and the like were were geared towards the idea that I I was just discovering this information and it. I think for a lot of people, when you start to discover some of this alternative information, it's like, oh, it's all going to come down tomorrow. There's going to be some sort of event. There's going to be false flag martial law. Everything's going to change tomorrow. So my I was driven by that to the point where I was I didn't know how much time I had to get this information out. So I was just going to try to hit on every major subject as much as I could. And um, eventually, at a certain point, I realized, oh, you know, we have the space to really start fleshing this out and going into more depth and and uh, and taking our time and looking at some of the more metal-level issues and peripheral issues, etc. So I've really started to paint I, – I think the first uh, iteration of this was just – Sketching the outlines, and I think I've really started to paint that in and color in between the lines, and and uh, make the the painting more of a a fully realized picture in the last few years. So I think the podcast has really developed, and it's now developing into something else entirely. And I've I've hit upon this idea: I want to do more documentary style. Um, podcast episodes and uh, I think the, the, the interesting thing we're encountering with this is that it's taking much 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 more time than I counted on because I'm really basically doing a f- feature length documentary for my next podcast episode that's going to be about the Federal Reserve which of course just turned 100 years old so I wanted right. to do a 100th anniversary on the Federal Reserve but I didn't want to just do another podcast episode you know 45 minutes or one hour podcast episode where I throw in a few clips and call it a day I really wanted to explore this From the ground up, in my own words, through a narrative that a picture that I painted, because in my head, the story of the Federal Reserve is a fascinating story about the real history of the United States and what it's about and who's really fighting with who and over what and what the stakes are. It's really hard to tell that. in in just a a short podcast, so I've it's fleshed it out into this documentary. And I really think that's the future for my podcast. And it's going to be frustrating because obviously it means I, I'm able to produce less in terms of, you know, just the sheer number of podcasts. But I really do think it will be the only way to explore some of these subjects that really do require more, more depth and, and precision and detail.
0: Well, this is what's somewhat humorous here, because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you as a guest when you made this announcement back in December of last year that you wanted to shake up your format a little bit and, and move into more of the podcastumentary style installments, you're, you're pretty prolific, and it's a little daunting when you come to your site, and I thought, okay, okay, so now uh, now his, his uh, output will go down a little bit, but it doesn't seem like you've slowed down. For our <laughs> listeners who, are, who aren't familiar with, with your site, could you list the various segments that you produce and on what schedule you usually produce them?
2: Right. OK, well, as I mentioned, I, I do the eye opener report for BoilingFrogsPost.com every week, every Tuesday that that uh, is released. That's generally a 15 minute or so video, Um, sometimes 10, sometimes 20 minutes, but somewhere in there. Um, on various issues and matters i do uh reports for grtv which include the uh, backgrounders which again are about 15 minute investigative video reports but again they're um uh it's supposedly on a weekly schedule but it it hasn't been coming out on a weekly schedule um i do editorials for the international forecaster so uh that's also goes out on my own subscriber newsletter every week so that's generally a I'm not even sure, somewhere a thousand or, or fifteen hundred words every week on various subjects, economic and political and financial. Um, I do uh, interviews on a regular and ongoing basis. Uh, there's no set schedule to them, but generally, you know, three or four or five a week. And I do The New World Next Week with James Evan Pilato, as you were saying, every every Thursday. Another 15-minute uh, news roundup video, which I'll be recording later today, actually, here in Japan. Um, and uh, uh, what else? I do occasionals uh, videos on all sorts of different subjects. And then there's the podcast, which was coming out on a weekly basis. Um, Back when it was a podcast, before I went to this podcastumentary format. So you're right. I mean, there's still an awful lot of content coming through on a daily basis uh, from my website. But uh, the the podcast itself is slowed down.
1: Podcastumentary. Is it a coincidence that your first one had to do with Oswald and this on his 50th anniversary of the assassination of JFK? And now the, the one you're working on now is the 100th anniversary of the Federal Reserve.
2: Well, it, it, I mean, anniversaries uh, are an interesting time to use momentum um, in or to to your own advantage in a kind of jujitsu move, and I that's <laughs> something that I've never really I, I never really consciously thought about. I did do various anniversary type um, work, like for example, 9 nine eleven anniversary. I would generally have a nine eleven anniversary podcast, but generally because I mean, there are different events going on at Ground Zero and things that I wanted to promote, so that it kind of made sense to do that. Um, But I I guess it kind of struck me when I released my um, uh, 9-11 conspiracy theory video, which is my number one viral video to two and a half million views now maybe online um, th- uh, that was released on September eleventh, two 2011 the 10th anniversary of nine eleven, and I think it it really was just uh, people had been oversaturated with the 9-11 anniversary coverage and then they stumbled across my short little humorous video that was just so different I think than anything that was coming out at the time. A lot of you know heavy morose ponderous type of material. This was something that was light and and funny and, and short and, and fast-paced, and I, and it caught on because of that. And it, it made me really think about, well, anniversaries are a time in which you can take this momentum of all of the coverage that these types of things get, and you can use it to your own advantage by by injecting some truth into that, so so for example, I mean I did release um, my JFK a conspiracy theory video on the 50th anniversary of JFK, November 22nd. Although that's uh, considerably did not take off in the way the 9/11 one worked. So it is certainly not an exact science, but it's something that I've been thinking about, and and uh, again it's just a good way of uh, of uh, even getting myself to focus on something that you know hmm. like the JFK, which I I haven't focused on a lot in my work, but it's a good a good excuse to kind of oh, oh okay well it's it's coming up let's let's start covering it
0: and it's a nice natural deadline too it's like okay i gotta get this exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah it didn't work with the federal reserve documentary though that was supposed to be released on the, the actual 100th anniversary of the passage of the bill december 23rd but it didn't happen that way
1: what's really the difference between the doing it this new way and say the the way that you did the nine eleven video i mean that was it's pretty much the same idea right Right
2: yeah I mean, I guess it's not a difference in 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 uh in it's it's not a difference in in the actual content, it's just a difference in terms of the the size and the scope of what's happening and um i mean with my nine nine eleven video i mean I dashed that off uh, literally in a day i I put that together. I had been kind of kicking around the opening of that script in my head for weeks. It had been going around just trying to summarize, like, how quickly how how can I summarize the stupidity of 9-11? And I, I was kind of doing that just mentally for weeks before I ended up actually writing it. But it was just kicking around in my head, and I ended up dashing it off in a day. And often I found, I mean, that my inspiration will work that way where – I'll have some sort of idea, and then eventually it will just be like, okay, it's time, and I'll just sit down and do it, and it'll all come at once. But it might be kicking around up there for days, weeks, months, or years. Uh, um, An example of that, I I did a podcast episode, uh, Message to the Future, in which I'm – in which I leave a, a video message in a bottle to, to some future generation, so kind of mm. you know ex- explaining who we are and what what we're living through and the way we imagine the future is going to be and all of that. And that was an idea that I'd had literally for for three or four years by the point where I actually did it. Um, and it was just one of those things. I, I decided, okay, now's the time to do it. So I went out and I recorded it. So when it happens, it can happen very quickly and spontaneously. But sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of preparatory work that goes on even unconsciously, let alone consciously before it it kind of gestates the
0: corporate report began in 2007 as we mentioned in the introduction when did you when were you able to go pro with this <laughs> yeah no, well good because question. i'm curious about whether or not that you knew that you were there and it was time to take that step or if it was a risky leap and you just took it and then it paid off for you
2: I could have taken a riskier leap and done it earlier, but uh, the the point at which I actually gave up my regular day job and did this full time was uh, mid 2011. And that was the point at which um, Global Research had offered me uh, the the position, the video producer position, so I could produce reports for them. And uh, it all seemed to work out extremely well. Um, they, They would pay me for reports that I would produce for them, but they would also let me keep it on my YouTube channel and my 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 website and I, I had full editorial control so so it all worked out for me very well and that was just a natural transition for me so it, it worked out extremely well at that point I suppose I could have attempted to do it earlier but it would not have been uh, very stable economically speaking mm-hmm. so I, I'm sure my wife wouldn't have uh, enjoyed that
0: when I first visited your website I kind of experienced a little bit of cognitive dissonance because on the one hand it looks and feels like a commercial broadcast news station with your logo and your female british intro yet mm-hmm. you're not doing traditional broadcast news and so i was just curious i know you were saying that it you early on you just kind of you know it be, it was a blossoming a becoming what was the intention there were you were you kind of culture jamming with that and saying you know like trying to trick people into checking you out or was it more of a trying to take yourself and alternative media serious? Or maybe a little of both.
2: Yeah, maybe a little bit of both. Well, I, I, I again, I'd say none of this was necessarily consciously intentional. I, I don't think I ever sat down with my grand plan of how I was going to change the world. Um, it just kind of developed. <laughs> and part of, I mean, part of the, the, when you start to produce media, I mean, you just have to make certain decisions. I mean, what am I going to wear? Am I going to wear a suit or am I just going to wear everyday clothes? Um, am I <laughs> going to sit in front of a green screen? And if so, what am I going to put on that green screen back- backdrop uh, or am I just going to sit in my my In my living room, um and all of these types of decisions that you start to make, and I think a lot of that probably was influenced simply by the media content that I'd consumed my entire life. I mean, it, that obviously had to play into those decisions and my idea of what news looked like. And this is something I talked about in my uh, presentation to the uh, FOSA conference in, in Lille, France, uh, just late last year, where I was talking about the concept of open source journalism. And I think that the uh, the news, as we've, you know, been fed it our entire lives, looks and feels a certain way because there's, you know, the talking head who is featured in, you know, to one third profile, with just the top of them at the, on the screen and beside them there's generally a, a logo in the bottom corner there's generally a screen with some information like some titles or graphics or whatever beside them. I mean that's the way news has looked to us for most of our lives and so that's uh, just generally what people will try to emulate when they start producing this and I've I mean, I've I've done that before. I did, for example, Sunday Update my, that series, which was basically it looked and and felt as much like a news broadcast as I could possibly do with my very limited skills. Um, mm-hmm. And I've I've gone, I think, away from that in a lot of ways. I I now don't use green screens or anything of that sort and i want to keep it more documentary without my face because i have the perfect face for radio so um (laughs) i i I, just I, i i'm constantly playing with it because i don't think it's a finalized thing and i'm not sure it will ever be finalized it's always a work in progress and and just whatever feels right for whatever particular broadcast i'm working on um i think everything has its own form that that it can take. And uh, I don't want to try to limit it beforehand or or strategize it too much. I think I I just trust my instincts in terms of what's going to work or not for this particular format.
1: Well, you have changed the world. I mean, do you see yourself as an opinion maker, perhaps a, a, what would be the word, a contra propagandist maybe, or a counter propagandist?
2: Right. Um, I, I well, I, I do, but only insofar as I see everyone as that. Um, just some people haven't realized it yet, and and that's really my main message: is that I really, I really, and truly am not special. I'm not putting myself up on a high horse. I do not differentiate myself from the audience. I'm just someone who is actually putting this media out there, but it doesn't make me special or different. And I'm not a trained journalist. I'm, I don't have any particular academic background in any of the subjects that I'm covering. It's just that I'm an interested autodidactic person who has invested a lot of time and energy and effort into trying to better my understanding on these things and talking to people who generally are, are smarter or more informed than I am in order to help uh, inform myself. And, and I if there's anything, any value to that, I, I I hope it's in setting the example to others that, you know, again, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And that's that's always been an integral part of my message that I'm I'm not here trying to be an opinion maker, in, you know, as opposed to anyone else. I'm just trying to join the discussion that I think is happening societally. And we've been trained our entire lives to, to feel that we're not part of that discussion, that we're not entitled to be part of that discussion because we don't have the right credentials or we don't have, you know, the right letters next to our name or whatever it is is the right piece of paper on the wall and uh, i i think if there is any time to tear down those those walls in in terms of uh, the walls of human understanding i think that time is now and we have the technology to do it so so that's really the the thrust of my message
0: which leads us maybe to net neutrality well, oligarchy is kind of the normal state of things in the, the last 20 years is kind of a blip a historical blip where you have the same The same level playing field as Google, in theory, Mm. and that this may be going away. What are your thoughts on net neutrality?
2: Absolutely. Well, that, of course, is the worrying concept, isn't it? Because uh, really, the Internet has leveled the playing field to a remarkable extent to the point where almost, I mean, anyone in our in our society, certainly, and uh, increasingly more people around the world as they gain access to the Internet via their their mobile phones or what have you, the, a, a staggering amount of the population of the world is now online and able to communicate with each other directly. And I was just thinking about this uh, yesterday. In fact, as I was drifting off to sleep, it's it struck me once again as it sometimes does that what I am doing right now would have been almost inconceivable 10 years ago and really yeah. i think would have been inconceivable 20 years ago and that's amazing to me to to for me as a junior high school student or whatever st- you know studying away thinking about what i'll be in the future i could not have even imagined what i'm doing right now it it didn't exist the possibility of this didn't exist so uh so it just goes to show i mean just how much things can change over that time and how how a little control we might have over that process and uh I, I'm sorry, I completely forget what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, what are you going to do when they shut you down? Right. Neutrality. OK, so back to the point. Um, so so it has leveled that playing field to a remarkable extent in a way that, again, we couldn't have imagined. But as always, there's going to be the, the, the counterbalance to that. They're going to try to bring it back under their control, as with the Gutenberg printing press or any other time in which, you know, things threaten to explode our understanding of, of the relations between people. And uh, I think uh, the net neutrality debate in and of itself is fascinating because to me the the underlying problem here is not that there isn't some government that's going to force the corporations to be nice and play play fair. It's that the people themselves don't see the responsibility as lying with them to make the corporations provide them the service they want. we 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 tend to put ourselves in the position that we are utterly totally powerless to do anything to affect the way that that businesses provide services to us all we can do is ask for the government to come in with a big stick and make them do what we want and Mm -hmm. uh, to me that 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 is the fundamental underlying problem of all of this. It's a problem of psychology because at the end of the day, that disempowers us and it empowers the corporations themselves who we now put in this godlike position where they can do anything unless there is this other god, the the god of government, to fight fight against them. So, uh, yes, of course, I'm concerned about net neutrality, but I think the solution isn't going to be – to create some, you know, imaginary governmental authority to come in and tell the corporations how to act. The solution is going to be: well, What are we, the people who actually want and desire this this service, that can and does actually exist in the world? What are we going to do to protect that and preserve it? Are we going to demand that we receive net neutrality from these corporations, or when they change our service, are we just going to go along with it because that's how it is? Yeah. Are we going to Are we going to take the short term pain of having to try to construct alternative internet? Uh, you know, uh, Wi-Fi uh, 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 chains that I've talked about before on my podcast, the, the kind of alternative Internet structure that is technically possible. And yes, it will be ridiculously uh, in- ineffective and disconnected at first until it's built up. But are we going to, take that short-term pain in order to build up the alternatives that we control or again are we just going to position ourselves as hapless helpless victims in all of this to be trod over by corporations because because the government isn't there to do it for us um it's it's to, to my mind this is the fundamental underlying question of all of this and i think if we make the wrong choice here then we lose uh generally we've lost the game already regardless of what the corporations are doing
1: what would you say to the to the individuals who who see you as a gatekeeper, or perhaps like I think there was that one video a long time ago where somebody was seeing your face in crowds during Occupy Wall Street and all of that.
0: <laughs> well, so, and then we could phrase this in 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 a segment that you and James did for your New World next year where. You, it's how do you discern that bedrock truth
2: that's exactly you know it. so
0: conspiracy and paranoia can become overwhelming
2: how does one discern the bedrock truth that's exactly right and and to to some extent i, I think i take the blame Some of the blame for that, because what you put out into the world is what comes back at you. And uh, when I do podcasts talking about Noam Chomsky being an academic gatekeeper, things like that, of course, the accusation is going to be turned around back on me. So, I I mean, to a certain extent, I expect that. And I don't I mean, I don't blame people for thinking that I think it's a, a kind of odd type of gatekeeper that tells you exhorts you constantly to check my sources and to come to your own conclusions and constantly tells people that I'm not doing anything special and that you should be starting your own uh, information because you're right. I mean, how, how is an outside person going to know that I'm not a gatekeeper? I can tell you I'm not and I can tell you I, I wasn't at Occupy Wall Street and uh, I'm not an actor named Steve in Arizona as some <laughs> have said. I mean, just, just the craziness that people come up with, but I can tell tell you that, but why would you believe me? I mean, you know, if If you believe it, you believe it.
1: That's exactly what they told you to say.
2: Exactly. I mean, what would you expect him to say? Of course he's going to say that. I mean, uh, okay, (laughs) fine. I'm a gatekeeper. The point is you know that you are real, that you are not controlled, that you uh, are are a genuine human being doing this. So why don't you listen to me and do it yourself? I'm telling you it's not difficult to do. I'm uh, asking you to get involved in this. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a strange gatekeeper that would ask you to do that. But, <laughs> but still, um, that's that's my ultimate message. I'm not going to waste my time trying to to you know. Oh, I no, I'm not a CIA agent, honest. <laughs> um, if you believe that, you're going to believe it anyway, no matter what I say. So, uh, so just go out there and, and do it yourself. And that's that's my message ultimately. At the end of the day,
1: what do you think about things like Judy Woods and and? The harder yeah. to grasp reaches of conspiracy. Right, right,
2: right. No, I, I mean, I, for example, with Judy Wood in particular, I talked about that on, a, I, I think, my first ever questions for Corbett. Um, I get questions about her quite a bit through my contact form. Again, I'm not trying to tell people what to believe or not to believe. Personally, I don't find her work credible, and I think that she's contradicted herself in, in certain places and talked about mm. certain photographs, for example, that turned out to be. Um, misrepresented, and uh, as far as I know, she never retracted what she said about them, etc. So there's a lot of problems I have with that, but uh, I think overall, on for example, on the question, which is interesting, the question of, you know, what brought down the buildings on 9-11, it's something that I've noticed since almost since the beginning of me getting into this, is that that is the only question that people want to look at at 9-11. I, to some people, 9-11 truth equals the destruction of the towers. And and to my mind, that's I mean, that that takes so much of the picture of nine eleven out of the picture and it, it reduces it down to the physical process of how those buildings were destroyed. I don't claim to be any sort of expert whatsoever on, you know, the destruction of buildings, structural steel, any of that. I am not. Um, so I don't. I my I, my 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 own personal opinions on that and my own my own research is not particularly interesting to me. So I don't know why it would be interesting to other people. I think there's a lot of other ways that I can contribute to that conversation. But it's just it seems to me fascinating that people want to limit the entire scope and scale of what happened on 9-11 down to the destruction of the buildings and thus eliminate any sort of systemic institutional um, financial all of the other ways that we can look at 9-11 and the the effects that it had and reduce it down to that question which interestingly enough, divides people more than it unites them. The 9-11 Truth Movement is really, at this point, just a a group of camps warring over what brought down the buildings, rather than people who are actually interested in in pursuing justice for 9-11, which is, I mean, that's the sad tale of what the 9-11 Truth Movement has become. And it's instructive for would-be tyrants of the future. If you want to do something just off the charts, ridiculously, in your face, uh, over the top in terms of its lie and uh, just the, the, the transparent fraud that it is, then just make sure that you implant a few different alternative theories of how it was done within the groups that are worrying uh, about that. And mission accomplished. They, they will never form any effective response to what you did. And, uh, and again, I don't know. I don't have any definitive proof that that's what was done in the 9-11 truth movement. But regardless of whether that was what was consciously done or not, it's worked. The 9-11 truth movement is now just a bunch of people who are just fighting with each other uh, over what brought down the towers. So, again, I think we have to use discernment when it comes to something like that.
0: In many of your pieces, you re- you reference a they, and oftentimes, the, you know, the specific stories such as the banksters, you know, the they is clear. But every now and again, you reference another kind of they speaking to, you know, a larger organization that has uh, a larger historical agenda. Are you able to articulate that for us?
2: Yes. I mean, it depends on the context um, in which the they is being uttered. So, uh, yes, of course, I think there is a ruling oligarchy that does have an agenda and that does attempt to manipulate uh, world events to towards the the fulfillment of that agenda. I don't think that it is a group Um a single identifiable group that that um that everyone you know takes some sort of blood oath to join the group or that sort of thing i think it is a uh an amorphous group to a certain extent i don't think it has a central leader and a central uh ideology that everyone has to say to sign up to i think it 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 consists of competing factions and and that sort of thing and i think that there are a a lot of understandings that happen under the table and alliances of convenience between people etc it's an an image of um basically in competing powers of influence that work with each other and sometimes work against each other and um, meet in in amorphous groupings in behind the scenes in, in things like, you know, Davos or, or the Bilderberg Steering Committee or or the, uh, the Cecil uh, Rhodes Roundtable or the CFR or all of these different organizations have members who I think are part of this ruling oligarchy. But again, I don't I don't uh, tend to limit it down to any one identifiable group because that would be the easiest way to subvert that agenda that they're working towards is to make it This group that, uh, you know, once identified, they can all be exposed and everything, you know, we can dance around the funeral pyre of Darth Vader and everything will be happening (laughs) after. I think that's uh, much too childish, much too simplistic. I think it's much more complicated the way this actually works. And if we allow for some nuance in that, the ultimate point that I like to make is that it doesn't matter who is at the top of this pyramid. It matters that we are at the base of that pyramid Mm. and that we are supporting it. Literally, our lifeblood goes into the work that we do that supports the corporations that make this possible. And if we withdraw ourselves from that system, we can bring the pyramid down regardless of who is at the top. So, again, people will spend their entire lives fighting with other people who agree essentially the same thing that they do about the way the system is and the way it sucks, but they will spend their entire lives fighting with each other over who is at the top of the pyramid. And what better form of control could the people at that top of the pyramid ask for than that?
1: The octopus model. It sounds like your model of what's going on is the
2: octopus. Certainly one one way to put it. So
0: then do you have any anecdotes regarding activities directed against you personally because of the sometimes inflammatory nature of your work?
2: Yeah, I think the surprising thing for a lot of people is that I have never experienced a direct um a, a input of any sort from any governmental agency, any any mafia, any grouping, any secret society or anything of the sort. I've never, you know, experienced that and hopefully never will. But I think that's something that a lot of people who go into the or who aren't in this media on a daily basis they think it's all cloak and, cloak and dagger and shadows and spies and secret agents and people knocking on your door and the NSA listening in on your phone calls, which I guess they are, but uh, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily <laughs> me specifically. Um, I, again, there isn't all of that cloak and dagger happening, uh, at least not on a surface level with regards to my work. And I think that's another thing that keeps people from doing this is they think that as soon as they do this, they're going to enter into this whole world and it's going to be, you know, something out of Hollywood movie where they're running for their lives. And uh, again, I think that's something that Hollywood likes to implant as part of the agenda to once again make people feel disempowered. Oh, if you dare to speak up you're going to be you know, hounded by the agencies or the governments or the secret societies or whatever it is and you're going to be targeted And I'm here to tell you that um, that's not always the case. And I think there's probably a point, a threshold that you cross in which you certainly will get garner the attention of various uh, people that you probably don't want to garner the attention of. But um, it's pretty safe to say that the average person starting up a blog or a podcast or a blog talk radio or whatever it is, is probably – you know, not crossing that threshold. And um, again, it's just another way to keep us from from sharing information with each other. So so no, I can say that I haven't experienced any of those dirty tricks. There are people who lie about me online, obviously, people who say I'm an actor in Arizona or whatever. But uh, (laughs) it's not particularly uh, again, it doesn't matter because I my message is not please believe me. It's it's always about the information. So um, I don't think it's particularly ef- effective if, that's, if that is coming from any sort of, you know, governmental source or whatever it may be, and I don't know that it is. It could just be crazy people who actually believe that.
0: We have about a minute left. but I'm just curious. Did you see that story about the Pope and the dove and the crow the and birds. the seagull?
2: I did not. I haven't heard about this at all. No, oh, he
0: released a peace dove and then one black bird and a white bird ate the bird in front of a crowd.
2: <laughs> and i'm just uh, wondering what that. james that's corbett
0: funny. does yeah. with a story like that but
2: i uh, i, guess I we'll would have note to wait. that <laughs> yeah i would note that in passing but i don't know what to say about that no that's um funny isn't it it's, <laughs> not, yes. not in a haha no way, it's
0: but... yeah uncannily strange that the peace yeah. bird would be well quite appropriate okay. yeah kinda... right
1: especially i mean this is the lightning bolt hitting the vatican when he was put in there too there's some weird stuff going on but however this is 42 minutes and i know we're almost done but we have to throw curveballs we always do so one last question one word
2: aliens uh, can I answer in one word? No, I I don't have one word answer. I, I answer
0: <laughs> Please do. I,
2: I wish I could this. My answer in, in short form is: uh, I'm sure that there are other there is other life in this universe. I'm sure I have absolutely zero evidence that it's visiting the the planet Earth. Um, that doesn't mean they are not visiting, but I don't know of it um, personally, and I I don't spend a lot of time you know dwelling on it. But I'm certainly open to be convinced otherwise.
1: That was 42 minutes. So thank you for sharing it with us, sir. Thank you. You've been listening to James Corbett on SyncBook Radio, a production of TheSyncBook.com. More information about the work of Mr. Corbett can be found at CorbettReport.com. For more information about The SyncBook, our guest, check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you'd like to support the show, we urge you to become a donor. You'll find the donation link under each episode on the website and perhaps consider setting up a monthly charge. We thank you to those who have done so. A heartfelt thanks to those who have donated and helped support us to become better. We give you more when you do. God bless you, and God bless the whole world.
3: I'm When I crash landed on the planet I damn near couldn't understand it And they couldn't understand it either Talking out the side of their neck It's just theater We all know of imposing forces Existing in space and time matter coursing Up or down, right or left, good or bad Black or white, even day and night Moon and sun, negative and positive This is one of the first stages of blowing all the mist To clear the window of perception Of what is universally right and corrected Now we are living in an alternate reality In other words Everything's backwards, the eyes can see Information, universal laws align The true guidelines actually right or wrong In real time time, Yeah Check it out though Anyway, investigating the surface Of this new planet I bumped into a person That told me he represents The link between reality and illusion Half truths were present I peeped the essence The prison of bias Thought he manifested I did the knowledge on the true purpose Providing abbreviated facts To keep the planet inverted Controlling time, size, and bias Dude thought he had the golden touch like Midas It's like a planet-wide spell was cast Everyone I asked Accepted the baloney and trash And it's only a mask Worn by a character who wants what you have He thought I bought his ticket to the station Cause beliefs have infinite room for manipulation Now that be so corny Universal law is my core link I wanted to talk more of the people He said for what? Good. <laughs> we all equal Everywhere I smell the place stinking I told him man it seems like y'all gotta think big I said introduce deeper concepts He told me hell no nah, We he wouldn't profit What do you mean wouldn't me? What do you mean wouldn't Oh me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everybody now can pay the price. 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 Okay, me thinks it stinks trickery Some weak links in the chain of the mystery Time for that mist to leave By way of the breeze flows formed by my speak Dude obviously made it in the ranks of elite Who sabotaged history to make it unique In aspects of superiority Said one for you, more for me I see, we ain't really equal You part of the disagreeable people Who broke off into a smaller pack. Who were dubbed the hard-headed holograms Y'all remember that they thought they was all of that Lost all they had and came crawling back After that he had more jaw to jack Said it's our fault calamities were caused in fact I had to reiterate Cause he don't believe his negative energy is fake Based on Organized chaos resulting in different states You wanna hide any deficiencies It's all good, all fair game specifically I told him to keep ripping with me I'ma kick him in his nuts so hard his heart skips the beat Easy. you ready? Oh, Here we go Everybody, Everybody now Pay the price Everybody now <laughs> <down>. <laughs> this Everybody now <laughs> down. Pay, pay the price, price buddy <laughs> <laughs> of... nah, playing You're trying to no, no, you write know. though so playing nice. the nah, man you a bitch i'm no, the, the personnel at once i have an outside oh, of with my ability